Welcome to the Denver United Church Sermon of the Week. Here's a message from Pastor Daniel Brown. The trying to time yourself with that bumper is the most nerve-wracking thing. I'm sitting there going, okay, is it, is it, is it time? Is it almost done? I was, <laughs> got nervous before preaching, and I was like not nervous because I was preaching, but because I didn't know if I'd be up here in time. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. We are in a season of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Many of you have chosen to join us in that. In fact, this week I was so excited on Friday at our 303 event. Uh, I asked Logan, what'd y'all do at your 303 event? He said, we prayed. I was like, what else? He's like, we prayed. That's all we did. (laughs) We invited the students to pray and we had what, 25? 25 students came out just to pray. Isn't that amazing? Let's give praise to the Lord for that. Thank you, Logan, for leading um, our students in the heart of God. That's, that's incredible. And, and so we're in this season of prayer and fasting. And as a church, this is one of our core rhythms. We choose to start out um, our year this way because we want to center our hearts and our lives more and more around Christ. And it's easy to get in the rhythms of life, of family, of school, of work, of all the things going on and to forget and to come off center. And so we take a time and we choose to fast and we choose to pray so that we will choose to delight ourselves in the Lord, that we will choose to make him our portion and our cup. And so hopefully this has been a rich season for you. Um, We're in the middle of the fast and so we got about a week to go. And for some of you, you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to die. (laughs) You're not going to die. Um, I know that can be hard. I know at times it feels uh, maybe not as life-giving in the moment, but I just encourage you to not just fast, but to also during the fast, to create that space, to think upon Christ, to think upon his word, to dwell in his presence, to sit and to rest in what he has for you during the seasons. That sound good? And so we've been doing a series alongside of this fast and prayer called Postures of the Heart. And we've been going through the Psalms and, and just kind of pulling out of the Psalms the different postures that we see in David. And so we're in Psalms chapter five today. If you have your Bible or your phone, turn there. Psalms chapter five, we're gonna be reading verses one through eight. It says, O Lord, hear me as I pray. Pay attention to my groanings. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. I pray to no one but you. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request and I wait with expectancy. I love the Psalms. I love them because like as I'm reading them, I'm going, I've prayed that prayer, right? I I prayed that prayer this morning. That Lord, would you, man, here's my groanings. Here's what's burdening me. Here's, here's the decisions I need to be need made. God, can you give me uh, your ear? Can you give me your attention? Can you guide me into these things? He goes on to say, oh God, you take no pleasure in wickedness. You cannot tolerate the sins of the wicked. Therefore, the proud may not stand in your presence or, or you hate all who do evil. Will you destroy those who tell lies? The Lord detests murderers and deceivers. Because of your unfailing love, I can enter into your house. I will worship you at your temple with deepest awe. Lead me 
in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain to me to follow. There's several things that stand out to me in this Psalms, but I think what stands out to me most is the posture and nature of David's heart. We see here, he starts out with this crying out that the Lord would hear him, that he would hear him and he would respond, that, that the Lord would speak into the things of his life, into the things that are burdening him and the things that are pressing against him. And then we see that he then goes into the, the temple. He goes into the presence of God and he worships. He boldly pursues this deep, intimate place with the Father. And there he says, God, show me the way, lead me. And I will follow down whatever path you make plain to me. See, the posture of David's heart that challenges me this morning is this posture of this active, moment by moment following of God this direct leading of God into the intimate details of his life. The title of the sermon this morning is Led, a posture of following. Led, a posture of following. See, as Christians, we have made the choice to follow Christ. Yet what does it mean and look like to have a heart that is postured to be led? How do we do that? How do we live amongst the demands of this life in our relationships, in our work, in, in so many things going on? How do we continue to cultivate a heart that is being led every day, every moment of our lives, that is follow, actively following um, the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives? See, today, following has taken on its own unique meaning in our culture. It's to have this kind of casual relationship with someone, learning about them, observing them from afar. You know, reading their tweets, listening to their podcasts, sitting under their teaching, liking their posts. See, our lives might be slightly affected by them, by their fashion, by their life habits, by their diet. You know, we see it and we go keto or gluten-free or vegetables or whatever, you know, maybe our life is slightly affected by whatever they're doing. Yet this falling is to be associated with something or someone from a distance. It leaves us in control. See, we still have autonomy in this type of following with the ability to pick and choose what we want and what we want to follow. And I'm afraid that this same idea of following, this approach to following has affected our understanding of what it looks like to follow Christ, to follow as a Christian. See, when, when Jesus came to his disciples and he said, follow me, I think he had something very different in mind then this idea that we can kind of pick and choose what we like about Christianity, what we like about Christian, what we like about Christ. You know, well, you know, I like this. I might, you know, do a little bit of this. I'll do a little bit of that. But, you know, I'm going to keep my autonomy. I'm going to keep my distance. I'm going to keep the power to choose what I want. But see, when Jesus said, follow me, he had this idea of this, re, this life reorienting call to follow him. 
that would reorganize and restructure the way they would live. See, back in Jesus' day, the disciples had an understanding of what it meant to follow a rabbi. See, when a rabbi, when you followed a rabbi, you literally followed a rabbi. You didn't just sit in a classroom under his teaching, but you walked the roads with him step by step, path by path. You did what he did. You slept where he slept. You ate what he ate. You dressed like him. You began to talk like him. You began to look like him. And this was the type of culture in which Jesus was inviting his disciples to follow him, that it would, be re, that it would reorganize and reorient their lives. See, Jesus was never meant, Jesus was never meant to be a supplement to our lives. Jesus is never meant to be a supplement of our lives, but we are to align our lives around him. It's to be a reorienting lifestyle. Jesus is not an alternative to the dominant ways of this world, not a supplement to them. Jesus is an alternative to the dominant ways of this world. So what does it mean to be led to follow? So to be led is to reorient, like I said, it's to reorient our lives around following a person. See, at the very center of God's words, follow me, is this invitation. To follow starts with and ends with this invitation to walk with, to work with, and to follow in the footsteps with Christ. Jesus is our way. He is who we follow. He, he doesn't just point out the way. He doesn't just make a way. He doesn't just write down a way and say, hey, just follow this. But Jesus enters our way. He walks the way with us. He helps carry our burdens. And along the way, he guides us into life, not only eternal, but here on earth, into restorative living. He enters our journey and he walks with us. Following Jesus would never be depersonalized by reducing it to just following a set of teachings and beliefs and church activities. Jesus is a tangible being in our life who walks with us and wants to talk with us. Yet often our following of Christ becomes more and more static. It becomes about a set of activities, the acquiring of knowledge rather than an intimate dialogue of seeking and following, of listening and discerning. So many of the great believers in my life that I look up to, that I would say, if I had to describe them as, as people that follow after Christ, that seek his leading, one of the great distinguishers of their life is they seem to have this ongoing dialogue in every moment of their life with God, right? And it seems like with everything, they're saying, Lord, what do you say about this? Lord, what are you doing in this? Lord, what, where are you moving and working? To the point sometimes it's annoying, right? It's like, okay, I think you can choose which battery you should use. It's all right. No. But no, they, they're just they're defined by this ongoing dialogue and, and, and this ongoing listening and discerning the voice of God. 
Jesus's words in John chapter 10, verse 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, a major distinguisher of those with a posture of following is that they know and they listen for and respond to the voice of the Father in their lives. To posture our hearts to be led is to practice listening and discerning. It's this ongoing dialogue with God. It's active. It's not static. And discerning the voice of God in our lives. So to be led is to reorient our lives around the following of a person, not just a truth, not just activities, not just going to church, but around a living being that is is, is, is intimately engaged with every moment of your life and who leads us into a new way. John chapter four and verse five, Jesus is finishing out a series of I am statements about himself. And probably this is the most famous one. And most of us could probably quote it. He says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I know as I was saying that, like you didn't even like my pause behind the way because in evangelical circles, we like to kind of skip that Jesus is our way to he's our truth, right? Oh, we're all about truth and knowledge and that's all good. Or we're all about life eternal. We, you know, he saved us from, from hell and death. But he's, it also says he is our way. He's our way. He's a different way of living. Eugene Peterson brings so much life to this text by saying this. He says, to follow Jesus implies that we enter into a way of life that is giving character and shape and direction by the one who calls us. To follow Jesus means picking up rhythms and ways of doing things that are often unsaid but always derivative from Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we can't separate what Jesus is saying from what Jesus is doing and how he's doing it. He says later, the Jesus way wedded with the Jesus truth brings about the Jesus life. We can't proclaim Jesus truth, but then do it any old way we like. I believe that it's significant that the early believers were known as people of the way. In Acts, Luke six times in referring to the early Christians called them the people of the way. Their lives were marked not only with the truth of Christ, but with a different way of living, with a different way of, of, of existing in this world. See, it's so easy to declare Christ as Lord and Savior, but for not to lead to a shaping of our way and how we live. In a way, he's rescued us in our souls, but not changed our way of living. Instead, our way of living is largely formed by the pace and the practices of this world. How much of our way or your way is shaped by his way, by the practices and the pace of Jesus? 
The life God wants us to live is dependent on the way we live. It's anchored in the way Jesus lived. And as much as we pay attention to what Jesus said, we also need to pay attention to what Jesus did and how he did it. Jesus lived a life ever present to the Father, following constantly the Father's guidance and modeled rhythms of pra and practices that kept his heart in tune to what the Father was doing at all times. He modeled for us how to be aware of the Father's presence in our lives. We followed the Jesus way when we follow the Jesus pace and implement his practices into our lives. So first, this is how we do it. This is how we posture our hearts to live in this, this heart of being led. One, first, Jesus has to set the pace. Jesus has to set the pace. See, if you carefully observe the Gospels in Jesus' life, taking notice, not just what Jesus said, but how he did it, there's something that will stand out to you, and that it was his pace. See, Jesus waited 30 years, 30 years to enter into the ministry, knowing that that. that, that you know, in three years' time, most likely he would die. He waited 30 years to start his ministry. And then what does he do? The first thing he does when he enters into ministry is he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. Could you imagine? He starts ministry, and then he goes into the wilderness, into obscurity, in, all alone, into the desert for 40 days. Most of us, if we have not gotten that raise, if we have not achieved our careers by 25, we're freaking out. Shoot, if we don't have it by 35, we're having a life crisis. And yet God, Jesus seemed to have a different understanding of timing. He had a different understanding of pace and life and he wasn't hurried. So many times throughout the gospel you see people frustrated. I mean, on his way to, to heal the centurion's daughter, they, they were like, why aren't you going faster? On, you know, he was, he was delayed in getting to, to see his friend Lazarus so much so that he died. Throughout the story of Jesus, you see even his brother saying, hey, would you promote yourself a little bit more? We could build this thing a little bit quicker. Man, we could, we could have thousands of people following you, but yet he didn't seem to take the bait. He didn't seem to be interested because he was unhurried in his pace. He had a different rhythm of living. Jesus' unhurried pace stands in stark contrast to our pace, to our 21st century pace. Words like slow and relaxed have immediate negative con uh, connotations in our heart. See, we grow anxious and unsettled when things slow down, are delayed or put on hold. Even that word put on hold, I, some of y'all oh, don't like that. Don't put my plans on hold. We're so driven by efficiency and productivity and fear and perfection 
that our lives are recklessly out of control and we're full of anxiety. I see it in our teens. I see it in our marriages that we're just crumbling under the anxiety of the, 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 the pace in which we're living. Rushing to get where we are going or want to be, that we're missing all that God is doing and wants to do in our hearts right now. Our souls were never meant to live at the pace of our technology. God has designed a different rhythm for his creation that is life-giving. If we can learn the paces of Christ, we must ruthlessly remove hurry from our lives. Pastor John Orberg always said this. He, su he suggests that hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. See, it's not just about being hurried on the outside. It's the hurried of our, hurriedness of our heart, the franticness of our hearts. The famous Chinese pastor, Wang McDao, McDow, I can't ever say his name right. Sorry for that if I totally butchered it. Who was persecuted for his faith and imprisoned for several years, was recorded having this famous conversation with a young pastor. And this is what he said. He said, young man, how do you walk with God? The pastor listed off several disciplines such as Bible study and prayer to which the mischievous, he mischievously retorted, wrong answer. To walk with God, you must go at walking pace. See, to be led is to follow at the pace of the one you follow. And Jesus lived and he walked unhurried. If we are followers of an unhurried savior, what should the pace of our life look like as Christians, as a church? If we are to live life like Jesus calls us to and to be a regenerative presence in this earth that he wants us to be, we must learn the unhurried rhythms of grace that he lived by. My hurry often is what makes my life and my yoke and ministry heavier than it needs to be. And it's often what gets in the way of what God is doing and wants to do. When I look at the church and fellow believers, I see that their pace is just as hurried and cluttered as the world. What a redemptive vision it would be if our lives if we learn this pace of Jesus, what a healing presence it would be in our world if we lived differently, if we lived unhurried, if we followed Jesus. And I know that some of you that have been in the church, oh yeah, you know, this rest and unhurriedness, yeah, this new faddish thing in Christianity. But let me, let me read you these words from a pastor from the 1800s. His name is Piercy Ainsworth, and he said this, this busy world will surge about you with the tread of restless feet and the throb of restless hearts. Sound familiar? And little that you will do will seem to make a pause in the rush of things, but you may in Christ find rest for your soul. 
you will rest in your work, knowing that duty is eternal. Rest in your service to others, knowing that sacrifice is eternal. Rest in your purest earthly communion, knowing that love is eternal. This is the hasteless life. And those that believeth in Christ will live it. Jesus sets the pace as we seek to have postures of hearts that are led and are following after Christ. We need God to set the pace, amen? Second, Jesus shows us how. See, if we're going to understand the Jesus way, we have to understand the Jesus practices that shaped his life, that, that shaped the way he did his work and his relationships and that all that he did that kept him present to the Father and present to what the Holy Spirit was doing around him. See, Jesus had these practices that, that were, 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 he, he organized his life around so that it kept him present to being led. And without those practices, our hearts are not sensitive. They're not able to be aware of what the Spirit is doing. And so Jesus models for us how by choosing certain practices that he would build his life around and say, hey, I am the way. Watch the way I do this. And that when we do that, that it, it, it helps us to live lives sensitive enough to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, Je Jesus regularly practiced in, in this balance between engagement and disengagement between work and rest, times of retreat and silence and solitude and prayer and fellowship were essential to this rich relationship that he had with God and others. His ability to be present to God and others in a way that just astounds us today. And out of this flowed his work and his ministry. And these are the same practices that we are to stimulate, to simulate in our lives and to build our lives around. And it's through these practices that he shows us how to reorder, how to order our lives in a way that postures our hearts to follow. So to be led is to reorient our lives around a person, a living being that is interacting with us. It's not this static thing. Who leads us into a new way, into a new pace and a new practice of living that we so desperately need. And last, and brings us alongside others. See, to follow Jesus is to be brought alongside others following Jesus. We often think following is something we do alone. But see, this is the thing. When you choose to follow Jesus, you say, Lord, I want to be led by you. you. You start down this road and you wake up and you look around and there's brothers and sisters next to you and they're all pursuing Jesus together. Because see, this is the way Jesus designed it. He never designed us for, to fall alone. See, we are not the person of the way. We are the people of the way. We are a collective body of people that are saying, not my way, God, but your way. Not my priorities, God, but your priorities. Not my pace, but your pace, God. 
that are seeking his direction or seeking his path together. And just like we just said that Jesus chose uh, particular ways of doing this, particular practices that gave order and structure to his life so he could be sensitive to the spirit, one of those those core practices of his life, that one of the first things that he did right after he came out of the wilderness, you know what he did? He went and he chose his community. And he said, you know what? I'm gonna have joys. And there's gonna be moments that I'm gonna have sorrows. I'm gonna be crying in a garden. And there's gonna be moments where the spirit of God is moving through me and working in my life. And there's gonna be moments that, that are gonna be hard. But you know what? I want you guys to come in this with me. And Jesus chose to say, hey, I'm gonna bring people into to my life. I'm gonna be transparent, I'm gonna be vulnerable, and I'm going to follow Christ with them together. This was a core practices, practice of Jesus. So you hear us say in church, you know, hey, join a small group, be in a small group. It's not about being in a small group. It's about aligning our lives around Christ and around the practices that keep us present to the Holy Spirit so that we can live a life that's being regenerated into, the, into His image. And we cannot do that alone. And one of those core practices that He chose was to live a life of vulnerability and transparency with other followers of Jesus, of followers of God. And so it's not about being in a small group, but it's about engaging the relationships that God has put alongside of us as we walk this journey. And the reality is we don't really have a choice. You can't follow Christ alone. God has placed you into a community of believers and a life that is led, that is following after Christ is a life that engages relationship with other believers and walks the journey of faith together. I wanna to encourage you this morning to choose a posture of following, to choose a posture of being led, to enter a relationship with God that is dynamic, that is ongoing, that's listening and discerning His voice, that's choosing a different way of living it's choosing a different pace and practice. And last, I want to encourage you this morning to engage in relationship with others. And not just to add it as a supplement to your life, but to reorient your life around Christ as a central practice of cultivating an awareness of what the Father is doing in your life and others. Amen. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. As I say some of these words this morning, I know that there's some of you that maybe you've been a Christian for a while. Maybe you've um, been a Christian for maybe a couple years. Either way, you find yourself sitting out there and say, hey, I'm that person. I'm the person that has made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior, but it hasn't changed the way I live and how I live. It hasn't reoriented my heart around him. I've treated him as a supplement to my life. And if that's you this morning, I wanna pray for you that, 
that you would begin the road of reorienting your life around the practices and the pace of Jesus Christ. And for others of you, you're sitting out there and you're saying, man, I'm new to church or I've been in church for a long time, but I have never chosen to follow after Jesus Christ. But I'm here this morning and I know this, that my way is leading to death, that my way is leading to to greater anxiety and frustration and I'm needing someone to lead me. I'm needing some guidance in my life. I'm needing someone to be the Lord and leader of my life and I want Jesus Christ to be that. And Daniel, as you speak this morning about living an unhurried life, about living and following the pace of Jesus, I want that. And I want to make a decision this morning to follow Jesus Christ for the first time. And so if that's you, I want to invite you this morning. After the service is over, we're going to have elders and small group leaders and some of our pastors up front to invite you to come up and to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and to choose this this day, whether for the first time or for the first time to completely reorient your life around him, choose this day to follow Jesus. Choose this day to be led by Christ. So if that's you this morning, as as I'm speaking, if that's you and you say, hey, I wanna make a decision right now to reorient my life around Christ, to follow him, to be led. If that's you, would you mind raising your hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't just write down a way, that you didn't just say, hey, do this, not this, but you came into our lives and you showed us how to do life differently. And God, I pray for everyone in this room, God, that is living maybe at their own pace and their own practices. And I, God, I pray that these words would cause them to pause and say, God, I wanna follow you. I wanna reorient my life around you. I wanna be led by you. So Lord, right now, I just pray that these words would sink deep into their hearts, that it would change the way they live and that they choose today a posture of following. Lord, we look to you as our leader. We say, Lord, set the pace. Show us how to live the life you called us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged this week. For more information or to submit a prayer request, go to denverunited.com. 